it's amazing how we spend six months waiting for this moment and then it gets here and just everything happens at once. Hi, welcome to the NFL on Fox podcast brought to you by Verizon. I'm your host, Dave Hellman, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around the smorgasbord of shootouts, beatdowns, upsets, and unsung heroes we were just witness to. And that's only one week of games. We really do this 18 times a year. It like I, every year I forget that we do this every single Sunday. I'm sure you know, we'll work into mid season form, but we got a lot to get through. And fortunately for you, we have a whole team of producers that help us do that. We've come up with, with a quick fix to catch you up to speed on everything that happened on a dizzying week one. We're calling it the Sunday six. And basically what that means is we've curated the six topics that we think you desperately need to know about coming out of each week of NFL games. We're going to do this every single week. When the Sunday games wrap, we're going to get you up to speed on what you've got to know. And sitting here after the first Sunday of games, we're going to start things off with what for my money might've been the most impressive performance guy by the name of Brock Purdy guy that I had a lot of questions about goes into Pittsburgh and answers every single question that was following him during an injury plagued off season. Matter of fact, I called in to Pittsburgh, talked to our own Joe Davis and Moose Johnston to get the skinny of how Brock Purdy and the 49ers were so impressive in a 30 to seven beatdown of the Steelers. And fresh off the call of their, uh, of this 49ers huge win over the Steelers. I'm now joined by our NFL on Fox broadcast team of Joe Davis and Daryl Johnson and guys, I feel crazy for what I'm about to ask you because we know that the 49ers are a good team, but to see Brock Purdy look this comfortable this quickly, does it raise your expectations for this team even a little bit? I don't know. It's, it certainly validates them, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I would say that that's a better word, not elevates, but validates because he did the same thing in that Miami game last year. We right. called that Miami game, and when he walked into that situation and it was just easy for him, uh, no panic, no struggle, confidence. And when you talk to people, that's who he is all the time. So I, I think Joe said it perfect. It, it validates, you know, who Brock Purdy is as a leader and a quarterback for the Niners. This is a, a pet question just for me, but look, we know all about Christian McCaffrey. We know about George Kittle and Debo Samuel, but, but in Pittsburgh, it was Brandon Ayuk really stepping up. What does it do for this offense? What does it do for Brock Purdy as if he needed more weapons? Uh, Brandon Ayuk really coming up and, and kind of announcing himself as, Hey, I'm pretty good in my own right here. Yeah, Dave, I was saying earlier in the game, it's like we talk about McCaffrey and we talk about all these other guys, and there's good reason for that. But Ayuk's flying around somehow under the radar is really their top receiver. Yeah, I love his path to this point in his career as well. He was in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse for a couple of yeah. years and just kept grinding and keep working. Had a career year last year and, and didn't rest on that. Came into training camp and everybody said, by far, the, the MVP on the offensive side at training camp. So he carried that over into week one. So a lot of hard work by Brandon Ayuk to get to this point. One more, and then I'm going to get y'all out of here. There was a lot of hype on this Steelers team, and I know it's just week one, uh, but they run into a buzzsaw here. It's not normal to see a Mike Tomlin team lose by 20-plus points. Should we should we be overreacting to this? Is this just wrong place, wrong time? What, what kind of sense do you get about the Steelers and where they're at after this game? 
That's what we do week one, right? We got over it. <laughs> exactly. <yet. laughs> uh, I think it's a combination. I, I think that there was a lot of things that San Francisco did well, but there's a lot of things that Pittsburgh did poorly. And that'll be the, the line that Coach Tomlin walks is he's got to show where, hey, this is San Francisco, but this is us. But this shouldn't be us. This is not us. This is not who we want to be. But that's who we were against the San Francisco 49ers. You, you can't go up against a team as talented as San Francisco and have the mistakes that they had today. You, you have to make that team beat you. You can't contribute in any way whatsoever to helping San Francisco make this game easy. Really, really impressive win for the 49ers. Guys, thanks so much for your time. Safe travels. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Thank Dave. you. I think Moose's word choice corrected me perfectly for this matchup because it truly does validate everything we thought we knew about the San Francisco 49ers coming into this game. There's really one question, and it's what's Brock Purdy going to look like after an offseason away from getting reps, building upon an impressive half of a rookie year? Well, the early returns are in, and they look pretty damn good. Brock Purdy, 19 of 29 for 220, two touchdowns. Oh, and why not throw in three carries for 21 yards on the side? It's just enough elusiveness, just enough scramble ability. Are those words? I'm not sure. But Brock Purdy continues to look like the guy that we remember from last fall. And that's the beauty of it for this Niners team. They're constructed to win now. They don't need an all-pro quarterback. They need a guy who can dump it off to the open man. And knowing Kyle Shanahan, there's going to be a few. What I love about the stat line from this game Obviously, we talked about it with Moose and Joe. Brandon Ayuk is the guy that steps up here. But it's not like Brock Purdy was even winging the ball around to all these different options. He only threw the ball to five different receivers against Pittsburgh. Brandon Ayuk does the majority of the work. Sprinkle in some Debo. George Kittle didn't even have 20 yards in this game. That is the devastating effect of the stars on this 49ers team. I do want to point out, Purdy was sacked three times by this Steelers pass rush, including a near turnover at the hands of TJ Watt. Remember Mike McGlinchey, the right tackle in Pittsburgh is now the right tackle in, or excuse me, the right tackle for the 49ers last year. He's now the right tackle for Denver. So Trent Williams is great. We know all that. I am going to be curious to watch this Niners offensive line as we go, but we're, we're picking nits here. Obviously. I mean, you win 30 to seven, in a game with a two and a half point spread. The defense looked like the defense. Fred Warner picked right up where he left off. We know he's the best linebacker in football, and I would still submit that he might be the most underrated player in the NFL relative to fan expectation, relative to how many jerseys he sells. Kenny Pickett throws two interceptions, gets sacked five times. Nick Bosa did not look like a guy who didn't have a training camp. So sure, it's week one. We're not going to overreact too far in either way. But if 49ers can do this to the Steelers, I think they're in for a heck of a heck of a season, as we might have guessed. Their next game is against the Rams. Steelers, I'm not writing you off just yet, but as an AFC team, I would like to point out that it's not going to get a ton easier when you look at the schedule. Week two, home against the Browns. All of a sudden, if you paid attention to what happened with the Browns earlier today, that game doesn't look like a walk in a park. This is life in the NFL. Kenny Pickett has plenty uh, of reason to still be excited. We're not writing anybody off after one week, but this 49ers team is a buzzsaw. The only thing we didn't know was Brock Purdy. And guess what? He still looks like he's going to be just fine. I think we can count on the 49ers 
being there as we inch toward the end of the season, although that is still a long way away. But Niners, sorry if I doubted you. Sorry if I didn't sound effusive enough in my praise. They're still the real deal. Item number two on the week one agenda. What else could it be but the NFC East? And as far as the NFC East goes, I got just one question. How about them? How about those Dallas Cowboys? Are you kidding me? I don't even know where to begin with one of, well, certainly the most lopsided effort of week one. I'm sitting here thinking the 49ers would have the biggest win of the day. The Cowboys go out on prime time, national TV, hang a 40 burger on their rival, the New York Giants. And by the way, 40 to nothing, nothing shutout, largest shutout win in Dallas Cowboys history. First shutout over the New York Giants, also in a season opener since 1995. If you're doing basic math, you know, 1995 was the last time the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. Yes. When you win 40 to nothing, we can draw all these silly parallels. We can get real crazy with it because the Cowboys authored a beatdown that you basically just don't see in the regular season. Cowboys had a 26 to nothing lead at halftime. Their offense barely had to do any heavy lifting. That's what happens when your defense blocks a field goal and returns it for a touchdown, has a pick six, forces five fumbles on the day, has a plus three turnover margin for the game. Like I said, th this, is, this is a game that makes me feel for the PR staff because the Cowboys PR staff is spending their night and their morning just digging through all of the obscure stats that happen when you win a game 40 to nothing. This is the type of game where you're pulling up things that happened in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. But look, this is what was supposed to happen for the Cowboys, if we're being honest. Like, okay, 40 to nothing, of course. Of course not. You don't see that coming. But they were favored by three and a half in this game. They are seen as an NFC favorite. So to some degree, I expected the Cowboys to flex their muscles. Seven sacks. Micah Parsons looking like he's about to pick up exactly where he left off. And no, the offense wasn't anything crazy, but Dak Prescott did have the Dallas offense converting 58% on third and fourth down. They were good in the red zone. They made the most of their opportunities. They scored on five of seven drives when the starters were still in the game. Did I already mention that the starters sat down with most of the quarter still to play? I did. Okay. So good. We've said all of this fun stuff. Cowboys romp over the giants. For me, the story of the game, even as a longtime Dallas guy, it's less about the Cowboys being good because we saw that coming. And it's about the Giants turning in what I think you have to call the most disappointing performance of week one. One of the more disappointing performances I can remember from an NFL team. We've been talking about it all offseason. The Giants are firmly entrenched in third in this division behind Dallas and Philadelphia. But this was a team that made the playoffs last year, had a winning record and spent resources trying to improve their roster. Did you see it in this game? Did you? Of course you didn't. The Giants didn't score any points. The Giants let Daniel Jones get absolutely mauled, sacked seven times, hit another 10. It's honestly incredible to me that he stayed in the game as long as he did. I saw Brian Dable after the game was saying the Giants were trying to build some positive momentum, find something to feel good about heading into week two. I mean, it, it worked out for you, Brian Dable, but you'd feel even worse about week two if Daniel Jones had gotten hurt 
getting absolutely blasted by this Dallas pass rush in a 40 to nothing game. Seems like a really unwise decision. The Giants survive it, but I, I don't know where you go from here. Again, special teams had issues. Defense contributed. Offense, one of the most toothless performances of week one. It's only one game, but guys, it better be a 24-hour rule. You better flush that tape really quick because I said it in the preview show. The Giants came into this game with a chance to make a statement about who they are. Are we a better roster than people are giving us credit for? Do we have more of a chance in the NFC East than people think? Can we correct some of those problems from last year? Remember, this was a team that made the playoffs with a minus six point differential. Well, now you're sitting at minus 40. Super Bowl contenders don't lose games this badly. It just doesn't happen. So the Giants have a ton of soul searching to do. And the Cowboys looked like one of the most impressive teams of the week. That's about all there is to say. Although if you want me to reel off more stats about the Dallas pass rush, I can certainly do that for you. Instead, let's take it up to New England. The Philadelphia Eagles survive a little bit of a scare from the New England Patriots. Now, if you listen to your incredibly smart and informed host of this podcast, you maybe saw this coming. You know, in the world of the NFC East, everything's a trash talking contest here. Every single thing that happens is used as as fodder for an argument. The Eagles have nothing to be ashamed about here. In my opinion, you go up to Foxborough on honoring Tom Brady day. So, I mean, the crowd's juiced. This is a Patriots team. That's supposed to be improved from last year. The crowd's pumped to see Tom, all kinds of signs for Tom Brady. Tom's wearing the 12 uniform and the Eagles get a gritty win in a monsoon, by the way, terrible weather, terrible conditions for playing football. That was a theme throughout these East coast games, including Dallas and New York. But look, this stuff happens. The Eagles win the game. Sure. They hold on for dear life and they get some assists from their young defenders in doing so. We will get into that. I promise. I've got some things to say about Mr. Jalen Carter, but this is life in the NFL. I think the, the Eagles had some questions to answer about their young defense. They hold new England to 20 points. They stave off a last gasp touchdown drive with a chance to win the game for New England. I'm feeling perfectly fine about this. If you remember the Eagles Super Bowl campaign started last year with a 38 35 win against the Detroit team that lost six or seven in a row at one point in the first half of last season. This isn't college football. I know there's a lot of Georgia players on this team, but wins are not easy to come by in the NFL. You definitely don't apologize for them. Yeah. Sloppy performance from the offense. It is. It's very interesting. This did not look like the formula for success that we saw from the Eagles, especially remember the Eagles were so good at getting out to leads and building on them last year. The Eagles actually jumped all over the Patriots, get an early field goal, defensive touchdown from Darius Slay, pick six on Mac Jones. They're up 16, nothing. That is the Eagles formula. You get the run game going. You maybe go play action off of that. And Jalen hurts is winning his matchups. Call it the rain, call it a fantastic New England defense. That's the other thing. Again, miss me with the idea that the Patriots are not a headache of a team to play. That is a phenomenal defense. And it looks like it. If you look at the box score, Jalen hurts sacked three times, Jalen hurts 5.2 yards per attempt. The downfield shots just weren't there in this game. And obviously it's curious to see what the running game looks like. This is, you know, Miles Sanders, certainly not the biggest piece of Philly's Super Bowl roster last year, but 
Kenny Gainwell, Boston Scott, and DeAndre Swift, not exactly a glowing showing for week one. 3.9 yards per carry. Again, we're not overreacting. This is a game played in a hurricane. Philly gets a gritty road win, and we move on. We're not we're not discrediting anything about it. You move on at 1-0. You feel pretty good about it. Speaking of moving on, Washington gets a win. I think maybe more stressful than you would prefer, even with a team finished, even with a team that's projected to finish fourth in this division. I think even commanders fans were expecting this to be a little less stressful than it wound up being. They do get the dub 20 to 16 over Arizona. But again, this is an Arizona team. Most people are expecting to tank. It sure didn't look like that in the third and fourth quarter. I have some uh, producers on this show who had picked the commanders in their survivor pool that were sweating through it. But Hey, for a team, we don't know how many wins Washington's going to get to start off a new era of ownership. You feel pretty good about this, especially Sam Howell, not the cleanest day through a pick and, and his fumble in his own red zone kind of turned the tide of this, allowing Arizona to score a touchdown that made this a game. But Sam Howell led two scoring drives in the fourth quarter to put this thing away. And yes, you say, Dave, both of those drives were short fields caused by his defense. Well, guess what? That's probably Washington's formula for success. You have one of the best fronts in football. You expect them to do things like get strip sacks. I don't know if this is the start of a run for Washington. Again, I think I said this earlier this week. They've got Buffalo and Philadelphia coming up in short order but you take a win any way you can get them and you don't apologize. And that is a phenomenal little three in one day for the NFC East. Unless of course you are the New York giants. Item number three brings us to America's game of the week. The much anticipated showdown between the green Bay Packers and the Chicago bears. This one was billed as, as a changing of the guard as a new era. And what do we get a 38 to 20 green Bay win in Chicago? Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson were on hand to tell you why this just felt like a little bit more of the same. All right, Dave, thanks. You know, the Packers come into Chicago where they win seemingly every time, and they do so again, but this was different because there was no Aaron Rodgers. There was no Brett Favre. First time in 30 years is somebody else, and it was Jordan Love. And I think you and I coming in, you're like, okay, just like let's see what he does, if he can hang in. He did more than hang in. He made big-time throws. He threw for three touchdowns. He was truly impressive. Yeah, and I think it was pretty clear from the beginning, especially how aggressive they were with some of those third-down conversions. We covered that a lot during the broadcast. It really speaks volumes to just how much confidence and how much they really you know, envision Jordan Love being able to not only participate in this offense and just be – but really be a game changer, yeah. be a guy that can shoulder a lot of the burden, especially with some of these young guys. So I'm really impressed by Jordan Love, Matt LaFleur. I mean, good for those guys. That's a tough stage to come out, start of a new era. And um, hats off to Jordan Love in that offense. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, meanwhile, for Chicago, looking to make that uh, that leap here. And, uh, well, disappointment, right? They figure Aaron, Aaron Rodgers gone. Here's a new chance. Not a great week one, but good news. Week two is next week. Absolutely. See you then. KB and Greg weren't the only ones at Soldier Field. Our own Fox Sports' NFC North writer, Carmen Vitale, also had a front row seat for the proceedings. Carmen and I dug into what this means for Jordan Love and where the Bears go from here. Hey again, Carm. It felt fitting to have you back on, considering it was just a couple days ago we were previewing Bears-Packers, this highly anticipated changing of eras game. Well, we played it. Packers win convincingly. Let's start with the obvious one. Jordan Love, you, yourself, looking pretty smart right now. You were bullish on Jordan Love heading into this game. 
He absolutely has uh, a season opener to remember 245 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers. Carm, did Jordan Love live up to your lofty expectations? Uh, I'm not going to go so far as to saying that he's a future Hall of Famer right now, but it seems that the Green Bay Packers are in good hands. And we saw a an improvement from Jordan Love from the first half to the second half as he kind of leaned on his guys a little bit more. He trusted his guys a little bit more. He told me after the game that he was able to get through his progressions on multiple multiple occasions. He was able to get through every single one of his reads and then was still sitting there like, hey, I'm going to look around and see what else is up because his offensive line pass protection all day. He had all day to throw. And then Aaron Jones, absolutely lighting up the field, the scoreboard. He proved to be that constant that, uh, that, that Jordan love can now lean on. You know, I think just looking at a box score, I don't think the numbers jump off the page at you, but what I thought was so impressive about Jordan love is that a guy making his second career start had the Packers 10 of 18 on third and fourth down and three of three in the red zone like that. That those are the money numbers for a quarterback. That lets me know how good of a job a quarterback is doing, keeping his offense on schedule, how well he plays under pressure. I thought Jordan love was phenomenal from that standpoint. And we talked about this heading into the game, but I'm curious, how does a guy making his second start who's gotten so few reps already seem so poised? It's because he's been in this offense for three years. He's been on this team for three years. He's been in this locker room. Jordan Love has been in this locker room for three years. So all of those intangibles that you want out of your starting quarterback, he can command a room, has the guys behind him, has their support, understands exactly what this offense is trying to do. Jordan Love has. He just doesn't have the reps necessarily to back it up. And now he's getting those reps. And he, with the support, with this wonderful supporting cast, uh, David Bakhtiari in the middle of the interview in the locker room just sees that Jordan Love is going out of the room and yells, congrats, Jordan! And it, like the entire locker room just erupted. <laughs> I mean, these guys love him and they want, they want to make sure that they're putting him in a good position. And as Bakhtiari told me, they need to make sure that they're protecting him and they're going to give him as much time as he needs, whether that's a half a second, six seconds, whatever it is, that's their job and they're going to do it. With all due respect to Aaron Jones, I think most people know about him and his game. His long reception in the second half was felt like a catalyst for this offense. But I'm curious what your takeaways were from these young guys that we've talked so much about. Saw a little bit of Jaden Reed, Romeo Dobbs, obviously with two big touchdowns, or my personal favorite, Luke Musgrave, I think, had the funniest reception of week one. Uh, just kind of... Yeah waiting for that beach ball to get to him finally and praying to God that he doesn't mess up the play. What did you think from, from these rookies and second year players uh, really stepping up? Yeah, that play in particular is called the leak. According to Matt LaFleur, we talked about it after the game and that was a play that even David Bakhtiari said that he was super pumped about because he knew that it was going to be a catalyst for the offense. If not for the reason that it was designed to get a touchdown, then for just what ended up being hilarious that Luke Musgrave has, has this opportunity, you know, it's his first NFL game and he gets a cramp as soon as he, he, uh, he catches the ball. So he went down, wasn't able to complete the play, but he was absolutely wide open. I'm told the TV broadcast didn't show a single defender in his vicinity. And that's exactly what you want to see is that these guys know exactly what they're supposed to do, even if it doesn't go according to plan, because don't forget, Doran Love fumbled on that play. 
but he picked it right back up and then just lobbed it, chucked it up for Luke Musgrave, and it still worked out. So these guys, all of them have a ton of poise. Romeo Dobbs, two touchdowns on the day. That was someone that Jordan Love was going to have to lean on regardless of how long he's been in this league because Christian Watson was out. So you see just these guys are all working together. They're clicking and they're picking each other up at various stages of the game when when everybody else needs it. Obviously, Carm, we always knew this was going to be a really fun day for somebody. It's a divisional rivalry. That means it was going to be a really not fun day for somebody else. I got to tell you, we knew all the storylines heading in, but this felt like a very similar loss for the Bears. A lot of flashes of potential for Justin Fields, a lot of signs of encouragement occasionally. Uh, But at the end of the day, Justin Fields averages fewer than six yards per attempt. The Bears score 20 points on the day. They wind up losing by three possessions. Am I being too doom and gloom if I say this looked like a very similar team from last year? That, that was the issue. The Chicago Bears made the same mistakes or had the same issues in this game as they had all of last year, but then they also had them for the same reasons. And that's what's so discouraging is because you don't see this team taking a step forward despite all of the investments they made on both sides of the ball, really. I mean, a lot was made about surrounding Justin Fields with weapons and making sure that he was in an oppor- he had an opportunity to make plays this year now that he would know the offense a little bit better. But there was also a ton put in on the defense, and the defense held the Packers at bay in that first half, held them within a score, but then couldn't stop the bleeding in the second half. And it was just, again, a ho- the, the holes were so apparent and they were the same ones that Bears fans were dealing with last season. I want to ask you one more on this front before we get you out of here. And that's, again, to your point, protection was such a big deal for the Bears last year. They draft Darnell Wright with a top 10 pick. Not to let Justin Fields off the hook entirely. He's certainly culpable for a lot of this. But he gets sacked four times on the day and hit another six. Green Bay's pass rush was all over him. And again, I just I wonder where this is heading for the Bears offensive line. Are we react overreacting uh, by saying again, this this is a unit that looks like it could still be a big problem. You thought you were going to go into this season having consistency if you were the Chicago Bears, because at that unit in particular, We knew the five starters in minicamp, and that hasn't come to fruition because of injury, and multiple guys were playing out of position. You had Lucas Patrick, who's the backup center, playing center, and then you, but Cody Whitehair was on the field. He had just moved back to guard. So now you have two guys out of, uh, like, out of position to make up for one guy's absence, and that's Tevin Jenkins, who is on IR and will be there hopefully only for the first four weeks of the season, but it just threw everything into a tizzy. Everything was shuffled again, and this unit did not have continuity going into this game playing at the positions that they were playing in. And that was what was so discouraging because, as we saw with the Packers, the offensive line matters. That is what allowed Jordan Love to get comfortable in that second half. He started to trust his protection. He had the protection, not to mention the run game and Aaron Jones doing everything that Aaron Jones did. It doesn't happen without a good offensive line. So the Packers have figured out if you surround a young quarterback with a solid offensive line and some veterans in the backfield to help him out, that tends to work out for you. And that's not something the Chicago Bears have done. If you need to know one thing about Carmen Vitale, it's quote, the offensive line matters. Just keep that in mind. Carmen, it was a fun day at Soldier Field. We will see where this goes from here. Packers immediately follow this up with a 1-0 Falcons team. 
Bears get a suddenly feisty looking Bucks team. So we will be evaluating these young teams and these young quarterbacks throughout the season. And we will be doing it with your help, I hope. Carm, thanks for the time. Thanks so much for having me. The fun thing about the fourth item on our list is that it came completely out of left field. Like I could have told you months ago that the NFC East and Packers bears would be things we would want to talk about on this show. You know what I didn't see coming Rams 30 Seahawks 13. Welcome to week one. Welcome back to the NFL where anything can happen on any given Sunday for my money. I think this is the most surprising result of week one. Even look, even the Cowboys beating down the giants, you could have seen a Cowboys win on the horizon. That's not terribly surprising. This is something entirely different. That's why I called in our broadcast team of Kevin Kubler and Mark Sanchez to help me make sense of the whole thing. Joined now by the two guys that had a front row seat to the upset, Fox's own Kevin Kubler and Mark Sanchez. Guys, the narrative as recently as yesterday was that, you know, maybe the, the Rams are out of contention this year or Matthew Stafford can't connect with all these young guys on the roster. And here he is throwing for more than 300 with guys like Tutu Atwell and Puka Nakua. What did you see that allowed Matthew Stafford to, I don't know if you want to call it a fountain of youth or what, but he was certainly slinging the rock around. Well, one thing that helped Mark was to have good protection for Matthew Stafford. He was hit a ton in the nine games he played before the injury last year, and he was clean the whole day. That's exactly right. And this is a guy who's seen everything under the sun when it comes to defenses as a quarterback in this league. And he knows if I have time, boys up front, just give me a little time. Give me that extra strain and I'll make this defense pay. He saw a lot of zone today. That's why he saw a lot of routes sitting down and breaking into those specific zones and throttling down. And he was nails, lights out. And really, he got him out of jams when plays weren't good. When Seattle dialed up the right defense, he ditched that ball so quickly before anything could go catastrophically bad for the Rams. And that's what really kept him in the game and kept him uh, going towards the end. I had a chance. I was listening to the end of the broadcast. Wonderful job, by the way. But you guys did mention week one can be a little bit of a liar. It can be a little <laughs> bit of a liar. What, what did I say? A dirty little liar. You're right. You're Thank right. You. Mark. <laughs> I'm curious. Okay. So if we're heading into week two, the Rams are surprised in a good way. The Seahawks are surprised in a bad way. Quickly, what can each team do to kind of, for the Rams, stay on that track and, and for the Seahawks, reverse it? Well, listen, there's no reason to hit the panic button if you're Seattle. A bunch of players went down, a couple of silly penalties uh, late in the game, the personal foul type penalties. Those are fixable. You got the bye week coming up here in a couple weeks. Maybe get some of these guys back. Maybe a Jamal Adams gets back in the mix. But plenty of season left, plenty of runway left. Seattle's going to be just fine. And now for L.A., don't read the headlines, man. Don't read your newspaper clippings. Just keep your head down at work because last time I checked, San Francisco's coming to town. That's a tough ball club, and they just put a hurting on the Steelers. So they got their work cut out for them two weeks in a row. Maybe the most surprising result of week one. Guys, thank you so much for the time. Safe travels. Appreciate you having us on. Thanks. Thanks. The best cliches in football become cliches for a reason. I mean, we don't play games on sheets of paper. Mia culpa. I'm, I'm part of this. I think I gave the Rams eight seconds of airtime in our preview episode. I mean, look, look at these two teams and tell me that this should have been a close game. Well, it wasn't. It was just in the opposite way that everybody expected. The Rams go up to Seattle and absolutely house the Seattle Seahawks. You can count on one of these every single week one. Ironically, 
It was the Seahawks last year, widely picked as a team that was gunning for the number one overall pick. They knock off Russell Wilson. They ride that momentum all the way to a playoff berth. It's way, way, way too early to say that the Rams are going to do the exact same thing. But for the time being, it is a plenty good feel good story in its own right that they were able to do this. Matthew Stafford, I don't want to say written off. But when you talk about the conversation about the 10 or so best quarterbacks in the league, this is a guy that's largely been left out. And it's hard to blame people for feeling that way. He got hurt last year. The Rams offense fell apart without its offensive line. Cooper Cup is not available right now. He's not going to be available for at least the next few weeks. Matthew Stafford's 35 years old. But what does he do? He goes out and balls. He had one of the absolute best weeks of week one, throwing for 334 And he did it with guys that the casual fans never heard of. Of course, my fellow draft nerds know all about Tutu Atwell. If you are somebody who listens to the NFL on Fox podcast, you are familiar with Puka Nakua, thanks to our friend Peter Schrager. But this ain't exactly the star-studded offense that won the Rams the Super Bowl a couple seasons ago. On the flip side, how about Seattle? This looked like the runaway I thought it would be early on. Seattle got points on its first three possessions. They've got a halftime lead. At halftime, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, maybe not the cleanest performance of Seattle's season, but they're going to win this game by, I don't know, six to 12 points and move on with their lives. They had one first down in the second half. I think, I don't know what the final total was, but as the clock was winding down, they had amassed something like three yards in the second half. That's a testament to the Rams. And it's not even as if they were getting after Geno Smith. They didn't sack him until the very last possession of the Seahawks uh, last gasp attempt to get something going. This was just good, solid defense. And on top of that in the secondary, where again, they've lost so much talent, Jalen Ramsey off to Miami. They gave up five yards per carry in this game. The Seahawks had success on the ground. They just couldn't get anything going with the passing game, which if you know what the Seahawks have at receiver, and if you know what Geno Smith was able to do last year, that's all the more impressive that the Rams were able to do this without putting up gaudy pass rush numbers. So I don't know what it means, but it certainly qualifies as one of the biggest surprises of week one, probably the biggest. And guess what, Rams? You have a huge chance to show if it was a mirage or not. Next week, you get the San Francisco 49ers right here in Los Angeles. I'll be honest. That's a game that a few hours ago I was writing off as a nothing burger, and now I'm a hell of a lot more excited to see it. That's the beauty of actually playing the games. Talking about those rambunctious Rams is as good of a segue as any for item number five, which is our rookie watch. Looking around the league, what better week to check in on the on the NFL's newest players than week one. We finally get to take the wrapping off of all these cool presents. We broke it down with we, what we think are the five most impressive rookie performances of the week. And what better place to start, honestly, than the Atlanta Falcons and Bijan Robinson as hyped a non-quarterback rookie as I think you'll ever find. Bijan delivered on an honestly home debut Wearing Michael Vick's number seven, Mike said on Sunday morning that the Falcons asked for his blessing and he gave it. Looked every bit the dynamic playmaker that you want to take in the top 10. He got 10 carries for 56 yards, six catches for 27 and a touchdown. So if that's if that's the baseline, if that's where we're starting out at on your NFL debut, 
I'm feeling very, very good about Bijan Robinson delivering on the hype. My only question is how Arthur Smith is going to find touches for all of these athletic freaks on his roster. Bijan wasn't even the leading rusher on the Falcons offense. That would be Tyler Algier, who you might remember as an impressive rookie last year, out carried Bijan 15 to 10 and got both of the rushing touchdowns. Now, before you say it, absolutely spare me. I don't care about your fantasy team. I don't care about your fantasy points from the sounds of it. Arthur Smith doesn't either saying, you know, he doesn't care about fantasy football. One and one and O is one and O I tend to agree. But again, when you consider these two studs in the backfield and then the plethora of options, the Falcons have in the passing game, that is going to be a delicate balance, but I'm going to step out on a limb and say, Bijan Robinson is going to be a big, big part of it. Now, the next guy in a losing effort, I think maybe even more promising. That would be Indianapolis's Anthony Richardson, obviously the number four overall pick in the draft goes down to Jacksonville at home in his debut. But as I had a chance to talk to Kenny Albert and Jonathan Vilma, who were on the call in Indy, still plenty to feel good about from that performance. Thanks very much, Dave. Anthony Richardson in his NFL debut here at Lucas Oil Stadium. Did not come away with the victory, Jonathan, but showed a lot of good signs. He looked really good, really poised. That was the biggest thing I saw from Anthony Richardson. The game clearly was not too big for him. He was able to make the right decisions. He was able to get out of the pocket. He did not force the issue. Of course, when he had to, yeah, he had a turnover. But for a rookie to step into the game like this, he did a tremendous job. The future is really bright for Anthony Richardson here at the Colts. 21-year-old with his first career rushing touchdown, his first career passing TD, but the Colts fall short on kickoff weekend. Jaguars, the defending division champs, win it 31-21. No surprise at all to be talking Bijan or Anthony Richardson on this pod. Number three on our list, though, it's a surprise unless you're a dedicated listener of the NFL on Fox pod. If that wasn't a, te- if that wasn't a giveaway enough, we're talking Puka Nakua the Rams wide receiver who went off in his NFL debut. Now it's cool enough for a rookie to do, but a fifth round pick pick number 177 out of BYU shooting out of virtually nowhere. Again, unless you're our own Peter Schrager, Peter with the call of the weekend. I already said it once on the show. I'm going to keep saying it to call that shot. Yeah. Peter knows some people or he's got some incredible intuition uh, because this guy catches. Look, I mean, it's one thing to say like, oh, Puka Nakua is going to have a good a good season. And then, you know, three catches for 40 yards is a great day for a rookie. No, 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 no. Puka Nakua, 10 for 119 in a surprise win against the Seahawks in Seattle. Incredibly impressive. How about this? The only wide receivers in the NFL who finished with more yards than Puka Nakua on Sunday, Tyreek Hill, Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk. That's the company you're keeping. Pick number 177. Can't say enough about it. I think it's so damn cool. Good on you, Puka. Let's keep it in the wide receiver family for our number four rookie standout. That would be Zay Flowers of the Baltimore Ravens. Again, this, this is a performance that, that I think we saw coming. Those of us that follow the draft, but it was very fun to see Zay Flowers put it on tape. Baltimore gets the win against Houston. Zay Flowers leads the Ravens in yards. Nine catches for 78 yards in his first career game. I think this is noteworthy 
not because of Zay Flowers doing some heavy lifting. Again, we kind of expected that. But remember, unfortunately, Baltimore loses J.K. Dobbins in this game. No, I don't think Zay Flowers is going to get carries out of the backfield. But unfortunately for a Ravens team that consistently seems to be dealing with injuries, they are shorthanded again. I think they can lean on their running back depth a little bit. But again, this is this is another body down for a team that struggles with this. And I wonder if Zay Flowers can be asked to pick up even more of the slack. I think this is going to be a guy that gets a high volume of work all the way through his rookie season. I'm excited to see it wrapping it up. All these other offensive players got the gaudy stats, the catches, the yards, the rushes, the touchdowns. Number five, you got to love ball. You got to love ball for this one. It's Jalen Carter. Again, not a shocking name. A lot of people thought Jalen Carter was the best prospect in the NFL draft, but very fun for him to deliver on that hype in his first career game. The stat line is not amazing. It's a tackle, a sack, and a QB hit. But throw in six pressures. Now we're cooking with some gas. Now throw on the tape and remember the situation. And yes, Jalen Carter with a very impressive debut. Second down, 51 seconds to play. Eagles leading 25-20. A touchdown could lose in the game. Mac Jones has been slinging it all through the second half. Jalen Carter gets a second down sack, pushes the New England Patriots back. Two plays later, they're incomplete on fourth down. No, didn't single-handedly win the game. Uh, But if you're getting sacks in crunch time with the game on the line in your debut, yeah, that's pretty damn impressive. And I have a feeling we're going to see more plays like that from Jalen Carter as we go. We knew from the jump we had no hope of getting a standalone topic on every piece of action from week one. So for item six of the Sunday six... We're going to cheat a little bit. We're going to cover all of the amazing stuff that happened that we didn't have time to get to before. And just like in the preview episode, we're going to try to do it as as concisely as possible and get you on your way. My lovely producers have put three and a half minutes on the clock. I'm going to try to beat it. We'll see how it goes, but we got a lot of stuff we got to get into. And that starts with the dolphins and the chargers. I'm so sorry we didn't do a whole podcast episode on this because it deserves it. 969 yards of offense, 60 first downs. Dolphins come into SoFi Stadium here in LA and they sneak out with a 36-34 win. Tua Tungavailoa goes out of his mind, 466 yards. Absolutely incredible. Tyreek Hill, over 200 yards. Probably the game of the weekend from a pure entertainment standpoint. But for me, the lasting impression is the Chargers pulling a a complete L.A. Chargers. I don't know how you run the ball for 234 yards behind a hell of a day from Austin Eckler and you win the turnover battle two to nothing and you lose. There's no explanation for it other than Chargers going to Chargers. Moving on. I don't know what to do with the Cincinnati Bengals. I know they played the Cleveland Browns in a, in a monsoon. I know it stormed all day. I know Joe Burrow strained his calf and missed all of training camp. That's not a good enough excuse for 82 yards of offense, three points. They lose 24 to three. The, not if you're an AFC favorite. I mean, we, you, you, you got to catch some criticism for failing to score a touchdown with that much talent. I don't care if you were playing in a deluge. We've seen better offensive performances than that. Ask the Cowboys about it. Shout out to Jim Schwartz. He deserves it. Browns weren't much better on offense, but the Cleveland defense was feisty. 
two sacks of Joe Burrow and another 10 quarterback hits. Zadarius Smith and Miles Garrett look like they're going to be a problem for a lot of offensive lines. They were definitely a problem for the Bengals offensive line, which just year after year seems like a theme. All right, next up. I don't know how much gas we're going to give the Buccaneers for this, but they deserve some shine here in week one. I said heading into this game that I didn't trust Baker Mayfield to have enough magic to pull this off. But sure enough, there he was. It's not going to be a memorable performance statistically. 173 yards, two touchdowns. Buccaneers ran for two yards a carry. This was not a pretty game, but the Bucs are one to know. They beat the reigning NFC North champ Vikings 20 to 17 on the road in Minnesota. Todd Bowles has to feel great about this. An embattled coach. The Bucs are going to need some wins for Todd Bowles to keep his job. And he gets the first big one. How about a 3-0 turnover margin for Bulls' Tampa Bay defense? Don't know how far it goes, but it's a hell of a nice start. Speaking of, too early to panic, but the New Orleans Saints were a preseason favorite of mine. I hope you didn't have to watch them play the Tennessee Titans. They get the win, 16-15, to and that's what matters. But the Saints run for just 2.6 yards per carry, and they gave up four sacks. New Orleans offensive line looked embattled all day. I know the Titans have a feisty defense, but this was not a confidence inspiring performance. Even with Chris Olave and Michael Thomas playing well, I came away from this game thinking the saints have a lot to clean up even in a winning effort. All right. Wrapping it up is Russ cooking or is Russ cooked. He actually looked pretty good. A highly efficient day, like a one Oh eight quarterback rating, no interceptions, but 5.2 yards per attempt dinking and dunking all over the field. I, I, I just don't know how impressive that is statistically. Obviously, the Broncos struggle to score 20 points again. They lose to the Raiders. I know we're done, but again, let's let's give the Raiders some shine. I don't think anybody were give, was giving them enough credit. Jimmy Garoppolo leads the Raiders ahead inside the final 10 minutes, and they don't give the ball back inside the final five. I can't wait to see how that one ages. That's it. That's all the stuff that's worth repeating from week one, but we've got a lot more content for you. We've got some bonus content with none other than our Fox sports inside Jay Glazer, who was gracious enough to stop by for an edition of ask Glazer. All right. I'm really excited about this. It's a very familiar segment with a new twist. We've got our own Fox sports insider here. Jay Glazer has been gracious enough to join us for another season of ask Glazer, please. Use the hashtag, hashtag Ash Glazer. Get your questions in. What better resource than the man himself? Jay, Ask thank, away, baby. Thank Ask you away. so much. All right, let's 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 get into it, which I, this is a fascinating one. You talked about this this morning uh, from John Cash at It's Me Cash. He wants to know what's the deal with Justin Jefferson. Now, you did say right. with, with regard to his contract, they're tabling it. Right. Can't help but notice the man went for nine and 150 today. <laughs> I, I know in-season deals are rare, but where I mean, where do you see this heading? When do you see some resolution of this situation? I, you know, here's the thing. When I did talk to the Vikings about it, I said, we don't think we're going to get a deal done here, obviously, before the start of the season, before Sunday's game. But they said there was no animosity. It was all good. Like, everything was good. They were okay tabling it till after the season. They know they're going to get a deal done with Justin Jefferson for the, for the long haul. Um, and he just keeps putting numbers up like that. And other receivers get paid, let's say, during the year. He just goes up and up. So it, it, it's not like 
you know, right now he's looking at like, forget them. They didn't get me done right. for this start of the season. So that's it. I, I want out of this place. That's not the case. I know, you know, there's ups and downs to every season, but I think we can count on him doing that with some regularity. Right. I just feel like the price yeah, he's tags. Different, man. He's, he's different. He's different. different. He's, he's a difference maker. Absolutely. Okay. From Nicole LeBeau at Nicole LeBeau three wants to know which rookie quarterback you're excited to see this season. Already got a pretty yep. decent look at a few of them. Anybody stand out in particular? Anthony Richardson actually went in and gave a mental health talk to the Colts recently. Uh, and, um, man, he's just – right when you walked in there, you already knew that's the alpha in the room. That's the guy. Like, he's the guy. And obviously, he's gonna, there's going to be a learning curve. Um, but just incredibly athletic, really smart quarterback, really – like, players, the coaches, the GM up there, they were – all love the cat and that's hard. Like rookies usually come in and sure. you got to take your time to, you know, you, gotta, you know, as, as a rookie, it takes a little time to really take you in like that. But no, he was the guy in there. He, he's also, he's going to do some freaky things. Like when I looked at him, it's kind of looking like, man, this guy's like Julius Peppers. It's like, it's up for the size of oh my God. how big he is for yeah. a quarterback. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like the critique on for him, the critique on him was what? 13 college starts or whatever, yeah. but if that, not enough experience, but he's going to pick it up. But, but if just, that's yeah, he's absolutely just, yeah, his, his athleticism, but his size is just freakish. Two hundred sixty yards, like, bigger than every linebacker in the league. Oh, two hundred sixty yards in in his debut. I think he's going to be fine. Jack Serena Vashon three. I'm so sorry if I get your names wrong. Wants to know, Jay. I'm a big Jets fan, and the hype around us this year is crazy. Can Aaron Rodgers take the Jets to the playoffs yeah. this year? Yeah, I actually think he can. I when I went to Jets camp, I I bought in. And, you know, just culture there has been, you know, obviously a culture. They've always been second behind the Giants and third behind the Yankees. And that's what people don't realize, too, about the New York market. It's not, you're not just going against the Giants and Jets. You're always going against the Yankees and compared against their excellence. But, I, yeah, I totally bought it. And I saw a different Aaron Rodgers uh, than I'd seen in the past. But here's the thing about the Jets. And it's a credit to Joe Douglas, the general manager over there, and the players that he and Robert Sala bring in. They're stars want to be great instead of famous. And that's a, that's been a big problem with a lot of players who come to New York. They all want sure. to be Strahan and none of them are. And what they don't understand about Strahan, I was around him all that time. Right. He was constantly making sure football was number one. You may have seen him do a bunch of other shows and speaking engagements, but he outworked everybody. He worked at football. That was his, his trade and his crafting. He's realizing if I'm great at football, then the other stuff will come. Guys like Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, and, and Quinn and Williams, and these young guys, they they get it, and especially in a city like that where they're trying to be great before their, their, their desire to be great is much stronger than their desire to be famous. I can't imagine a better cap. And being famous ain't the same as being great. Two totally different oh, things. Oh, absolutely. I can't imagine a better cap to week one than, oh, by the way, Aaron Rodgers and the Jets and Josh Allen. Like, that's what we get right. to wrap this thing up. It's going to be great. Love a good behind-the-scenes question to wrap this up from Rodney White. Says, who's one player you haven't interviewed yet that you'd like to? A player? A player, a player, a player. Maybe Joe Burrow. I haven't really talked to Joe, and I think he's, a, he's an entertaining dude. Yeah, so I haven't really been around him. I'm trying to think who's like, Who's like a crazy guy who's more up my alley? Who'd be, you know, I I, I usually hang out with the crazies, um, <laughs> but probably Joe Burrow. I, I mean, I think that fits just based on the little I know yeah. about Joe and his approach. I think that would be that would be a fitting. I'd love to see it. Jay Glazer, thank you so much it, for joining us. We'll have hashtag Jay back. Ask Glazer. Hashtag Ask Glazer. We will get your questions to him as often as we can. Jay, thank you so much. Appreciate the time. Thank you, brother.